Welcome to Lives, a show exploring our experiences in the world and how we might live well. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is connector and community builder, Jeff Slobotsky. In today's show, Slobotsky shares what community means to him and what inspires him to build stronger communities, including a commitment to a vibrant entrepreneurial and creative ecosystem, evident in the founding of Silicon Prairie News, the Big Omaha Conference, and efforts now at the Millwork Commons development in North Downtown, all aimed at enriching the quality of our communal lives. I want all to be on the table of entrepreneurship or the table of community building, if you will. It's this idea of, yeah, all are welcome. And who am I to play gatekeeper or decide who can and cannot play in this role or this world of entrepreneurship at this point? For more than a decade, Uber connector, community builder, and entrepreneur Jeff Slobotsky has celebrated and championed entrepreneurs and community throughout the Midwest. His relationships, ideas, and collaborative nature are evident in his influence in the region's entrepreneurial and community ecosystem. Notable endeavors include Silicon Prairie News, the Big Omaha, Big Kansas City Conferences, Router Ventures, and now his work at Work Commons Development in North Downtown Omaha. Slobotsky's efforts in a region formerly known as flyover country have been highlighted by the acclaimed author Seth Godin, The New York Times, CNN, Time Inc., Fast Company, Forbes, and Kiplinger magazines. Jeff Slobotsky, welcome to Lives. Thanks, Stuart. Great to be here. So for someone who is maybe in that, I don't know, Malcolm Gladwell level of community connector, how do you think about, how do you define community? Community to me, really, I feel like is the element of, of a number of things, right? It's your physical infrastructure, your buildings, your parks, you know, your, your places to gather. Uh, but it's also the, the human side of that, right? And so what I mean by that is more this idea of kind of hardware and software. Uh, you can have great buildings, infrastructure, design, uh, community gathering spaces, parks, but if they're void of the software side, the human side, the people, then that's all they are, right? Is great gathering spots or beautiful buildings, right? So community to me is really just the people that make the magic happen in any particular geography of which one gathers. So that's a good definition. And I'm sure we'll build on that and unpack that a little bit more in terms of how you've approached your work and, and indeed your life. But for you personally, what has community meant? How does it manifest, as it were, in the importance in your own experience? Sure. No, that's a great question. And I think it's easier for me looking back at it now, right? With hindsight, it's kind of a little bit clearer, a little bit closer to 2020 vision on it. But I've also, I've, I've always been fascinated by communities. And what I mean by that is this is probably late 90s, early 2000s when Omaha's riverfront was transforming. You know, the Central League Center at that time, now CHI Center, started to kind of go up from the ground. And I was fascinated by this city's transformation, right? And what was taking place. And at that point, I was, I think, graduating high school and kind of he heading into my college years. And 
you know, I started to really wrestle with, okay, well, again, who are the humans behind the work that's transpiring in this city, right? Um, who are the elected officials or the business and civic leaders that are making these kind of changes take place, right, in our own backyard? And I, I became fascinated by, again, kind of that human element of community. Uh, and that thread carried throughout, you know, my personal journey, my work journey, all the way up to where we are today. Just this desire and this curiosity of who are the people that make a community tick, who makes it come together, right? Who makes it the beautiful city or community or gathering spaces that, that we choose to enjoy or show up for, right? And so at that point, it was really around the city's kind of redevelopment. And we can jump into this as well. But, you know, through, through kind of my journey, um, really became focused on like the entrepreneurs and the creatives and the artists in a community as well. That curiosity about people, I don't actually know, is that common? And you referenced looking back and, and you looked at the late 90s, early noughties, as it were. And I actually want to go back a little bit further and, and maybe explore a little bit about your childhood. So, so let's, let's start with um, what was your childhood like? Yeah. Yeah. So born and raised here in Omaha, uh, around 90th and Maple, kind of the Keystone area. And I oldest of four siblings. And I, I don't know, I just, I feel like I always had this natural curiosity towards life, I guess, right? Like wanting to take my bicycle three blocks past where I should, right? Or, you know, in high school, wanting to go to different parts of town because I was like, oh, what's happening in, you know, areas that I'm not familiar with? You know, again, who are the people, who are the experiences, who are the, what are the things that make this part of our city different, right? But yeah, no, I, I think good childhood, you know, uh, upbringing with siblings and academics was always stressed in my house, right? Like get a good job or getting, <laughs> first get good grades, get a good job, produce for a family, you know, so on and so forth kind of thing, which is important. Absolutely. But again, you know, I, I think you have to factor in ones. Not everybody is cut out to be a straight A student, you know, go to law or medical school or go work at a bank, right? Great if you are, but also where is the openness, balance, and the willingness to kind of embrace like an alternative lifestyle in some ways, right? Of being a creative or an entrepreneur or an artist, right? In a, in a non kind of linear path, right? Especially in a city like Omaha too. I often say we, you know, very siloed, in the city and in the state, frankly, you know, one could argue even the region it, it, to borrow from kind of our agricultural background, right? Like amazing people doing great things, but we're all kind of like heads down in our own silos, right? And so for me, I kind of wanted to push against and or break those silos in, in a lot of ways, right? I, I majored in finance and banking uh, at UNO, University of Nebraska at Omaha. And um, I never worked a day in, in banking since then, right? It's always just kind of been a, a nonlinear path. And I, I don't know that I could, you know, essentially work in a nine to five crunching numbers all day. Some people are made for that. And that's great. But, you know, for me, it was really kind of trying to find my identity, who I was and what I was passionate about. And again, that common thread was always like, who are the humans that you're interacting or building things with throughout that, throughout that journey? I, I love this vision of you on your bicycle uh, going three blocks further than you should do because you were curious about what, what's beyond the border of what is uh, you know, permissible for me uh, at this young age. And I wonder what were those early examples in your life when you saw opportunity and possibility, perhaps that was 
because you saw role models in the people around you. And where perhaps did you see boundaries or barriers or walls where you were perhaps expected to conform in some way to a certain trajectory or a certain set of rules or an understanding that this is how life was going to be? So in kind of junior high, high school years, uh, we moved out to the Millard area and I started at one of the Millard schools and then transferred to a different one the first year it was open. You know, and in that high school, I mean, we're all trying to find who we are in high school for sure, right? Even even to fast forward to today, right? What's the purpose? What's the point in life? And and what are we here for? But especially during during those formative high school years. And uh, at that time, you know, I, I felt like there was you know, right or wrong, there was this essence of affluent and upper middle class, you know, everyone got a brand new car when they turned 16, right? Which wasn't the case for everybody. Definitely wasn't the case for me. And I I don't know, I just didn't, like, I didn't feel like I fit that mold, right? Uh, For lots of reasons, like parents worked extremely hard to provide for us as a family and did an amazing job. But again, I didn't get my first car at 16. I didn't get a brand new car at 16, right? And and seeing that kind of modeled in the neighborhood and the community in which I grew up, I don't know, I, I started to wrestle to be like, gosh, I just, this doesn't sit right, right? It, and so I transferred my senior year of high school out to the new Millard School that had just opened up in Millard West. And in that first graduating class, there was about 180 kids, students from Millard North and from Millard South. And I often say we were the black sheep or like the island of misfit toys, right? Whatever analogy you kind of want to use for movies. but Um, We really gelled together because we were doing something out of the box. You're leaving a school that you'd attended for three years and you're finishing your senior year with a bunch of folks that you haven't even really met before. Like, what is this about? Right. But it was it was wonderful, frankly. And it really was, I think, a lot of individuals and students at the time that were probably a lot like me in the sense of saying, hey, we didn't fit in the box. We didn't want to fit in the box. We didn't feel comfortable fitting in you know, the mold in which we grew up. Um, so again, we kind of want to explore who else is out there on the other side of town, right? And, you know, at that point, Miller South was a lot of great students, a lot of great families there, you know, maybe more blue collar kind of families, I would say, a generalization, right? But it, was, it wasn't the same kind of folks that we were seeing at the initial Millard School. So, so I think, you know, for me, maybe that was one of the first times of kind of like going somewhere new your senior year, and uh, having a great experience, seeing that, oh my gosh, like anything is possible, right? And you can create kind of your own journey, your own path, your own story with others that are like-minded like you. I think around, you know, kind of high school, college years as well, you know, it was raised, raised to kind of stay west of certain street numbers, right? Or to stay within north or south boundaries as well. And again, being the kid that wanted to go three blocks farther than I should, you know, I started to meet a lot of friends from Central, right, Omaha and North Omaha, East Omaha, South Omaha, and, you know, kind of flipped the script on what I had been told or thought, right? Meeting people that were in kind of maybe not exact same backgrounds and upbringings myself, but also there's a human element there of like wanting to, wanting something better for their life, right? As did I wanting to do something different in their life, as did I, right? So maybe the color of the skin wasn't the same. The socioeconomic background wasn't the same. You know, that was different. But at the end of the day, we were human and we were passionate about being in this city and making the best of it. 
I know that you are and, and have been heavily involved in community building, um, building an entrepreneurial ecosystem, and uh, both separately, but also merging those two uh, concepts together as well. We've talked a little bit about community, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but in terms of entrepreneurship, before you actually dabbled with being an entrepreneur, what, what was your first experience of encountering entrepreneurship and realizing, oh, th this, is, this is something different than just playing business? Yeah. I remember it pretty clear. So I was working for a technology company that was based on the East Coast. And so I was still living in Omaha, but kind of traveling back and forth. And it was a company that would uh, sell software to Fortune 500 companies who were trying to track CSR metrics. So measuring corporate social responsibility within large corporations, right? So FedEx could say, hey, our earnings per share is X, but we have no idea what our employees are doing around charitable giving or volunteerism in Memphis or, you know, Omaha, Kansas City, wherever it was. And so I started traveling around and seeing these different kind of hubs, right, for entrepreneurship and creative hubs, creative cities. And I was fascinated by that. But then I get back home and I say, well, wait a minute. Like, again, going back to that human element, the human thread, we have humans like this in the city, in the state, in the region. Where are they? A and B, why is no one telling like their story or why don't I bump into them as much as I, you know, I think I could or should. And so around that time, I started a blog, which, which we can jump into here in a, in a moment. But I remember, I remember meeting folks like Dave Nelson from Secret Penguin who's a graphic designer, web designer, still doing amazing work today. And uh, Rachel Jacobson, who at that time opened up independent film studio, Filmstreams, which we're familiar with, which now has two locations in this city. And the guys from Saddle Creek Records, Rob and Jason, right? I often say they're entrepreneurs, right? They're creating something from scratch. It may not be a billion dollar company, but it may actually have more impact on a city and a community than a billion dollar company can and, and can't or would in time. Right. You know, for me, that was really when my eyes uh, were opened in a sense to be like, oh, my gosh, like all three of these individuals and others. Right. John Henry Moeller, what cheer. There are a number of folks kind of in that creative space that I'm like, wait, your livelihood is from this idea of entrepreneurship and creating something from scratch. Like this is fascinating. Right. Because I was kind of told and taught the way to produce is essentially, again, get good grades, get a great job. And this is the value that you provide. But these were folks that were creating something that was really wonderful, right? That added not only, you know, money to their plates, but also provided to the uh, creative fabric and element of our city as well. What was it that made you particularly interested in possibility of entrepreneurship? So your degree was in, um, finance and banking and some business, that sort of thing. But you said you never, you know, you never actually pursued that as a career. You didn't deal with numbers, but it's not a far step from there. I don't think to entrepreneurship, but yet it also feels so far too. What was that appeal about entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I think it was this idea of creation and creating a huddle at the time, you know, no longer startup. Uh, now have offices around the world, right? And employ thousands of people. But Huddle was starting out of Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, around this time as well. Again, three guys that went to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln through the Rake School created a solution or a potential solution for a problem that they identified. And to me, that's the essence of entrepreneurship, right? At, at its purest form. Film streams, same way, right? Saddle Creek Records, same way. 
Dave Nelson from Secret Penguin, right? You have, you have a need and you have a solution. And again, how do you build a business around that? Again, it's not as easy as just snapping your fingers and it happens overnight. But that, that idea of, of the creation part of it, as well as solving problems for people or for a group of people, uh, really, really uh, intrigued me, I would say. And intrigued you enough that you started a blog about this. And I'm assuming that blog is what eventually turned into Silicon Prairie News, but maybe share the genesis of um, both the blog, but how that developed. Sure. No, absolutely. So uh, when I was working for the technology company, kind of based on the, on the East Coast out of New York, was, like I said, traveling around to the different cities, different hubs. The initial iter- iteration of the blog was called Midwest to Manhattan. Started blogging, and this is what I'm seeing, you know, coming back and forth between Manhattan and, you know, Los Angeles, Austin, Boston, everywhere in between. Two things. I didn't think anyone wanted to read about my rantings and, you know, writings of what I saw. And then the URL was terribly long, right? And so it was this idea to say, flip this, uh, the title in a sense to at that point, Silicon Prairie News, right? And uh, this is before there was Silicon Roundabout and Silicon Beach and Silicon Alley, right? But it was this idea to say, okay, let's come up with something that's unique to the Midwest, that's unique to Omaha and Nebraska. And oftentimes when I'd be traveling around, I'd say, hey, from Omaha, Nebraska, you know, and they say, oh yeah, Ohio, sure, absolutely. No, 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 Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, Oklahoma City. It's like, no, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett. But also at that time, you know, it was Connor Oberst and it was Bright Eyes and it was Saddle Creek Records, right? That were synonymous with Omaha. Again, and so... Yeah, started blogging under that Midwest of Manhattan moniker, but then quickly switched over to Silicon Prairie News. Just, uh, I don't know if it's any shorter as a URL, but uh, it kind of fit, I think, uh, more appropriately with the work that we were trying to do. I teamed up, reached out to Dusty Davidson at that time because uh, Brightmix was a uh, web consultancy firm that he had started over on kind of roughly 50th and Leavenworth at that time. And, you know, sent him an email and said, fascinated by what you do, love to sit down and learn more. Uh, and then we had teamed up and yeah, had many, many years of, of fun events and just storytelling and, and community building, frankly. What were you hoping to achieve, I guess, initially with Midwest to Manhattan, but then you took further action to step that up, to amplify it, perhaps make it more focused, more relevant, more specific to this region as well. What, what were you hoping to accomplish? Yeah. I, you know, I never set out to say, oh, we're going to create a digital media company, right? And we're going to have this great event and there's going to be hundreds of people from all over the U.S. that come in for it. You know, I think for me, it was this idea of I wanted those individuals' stories told and I wanted so many more people to know what all of those individuals that I mentioned and others were doing, right? I was proud of this city. I was proud of the community. It brought me energy and joy, and I wanted others to experience that as well. And so I think that was really the goal of everything we did, you know, with Silicon Prairie News and the other events as well. It was this idea to say, hey, how can you use this vehicle to shine the light on other people, ideas, companies, products, events, right, in our own backyard that people weren't aware of? Again, so to raise the visibility. I wanted others to feel that sense of connectivity and belonging and community as well, right? And so if somebody could hop onto the website and read a story about an entrepreneur that had started a web design firm, now they know they're not alone, right? They can sit here in Omaha, Nebraska 
and know that they can do it too, right? Know there's these other kind of quote unquote crazy entrepreneurs that are out there in their own backyard and then make it easier for them to reach out to them too, right? So uh, kind of demystifying this whole idea of entrepreneurship. It's like behind it, it's humans, right? It's humans with great ideas that push them forward. And so how can you harness a platform at that point, a digital platform, you know, again, to tell those stories. But for us too, like we did a lot of connecting in person, right? Conversations where you're looking in someone in the eye, you know, across a bar, across an event venue, whatever it might be, and just really forming that bond of community, that bond of friendship. And then again, making you feel like you can do something that, you know, maybe you didn't grow up thinking you could right here in the middle of America. You did mention Silicon Pro News in the context of events. And of course, I think anybody that is familiar with your work would be familiar too with Big Omaha and then Big Kansas City too. So let's talk a little bit about specifically Big Omaha. Why don't you explain what Big Omaha is and, and why people are probably sad if they haven't had a chance to attend? So Big Omaha really came out of this idea. You know, we were, I started the blog. We held some smaller gatherings just at local breweries or other kind of events, uh, event centers throughout town. This is when Twitter was a, like an amazing vehicle for connection. Not, it's gone a radically different direction, I'd say over the last 10, 15 years. But, you know, at that point we had folks that were essentially tweeting right back and forth to one another, but had never met right in the same city doing amazing work. And so we were kind of saying, well, gosh, let's just get people together for a drink or coffee or breakfast, whatever it may be. Right. Get them in a shared space, kind of trade stories, let the magic happen. They go off and, and do great things. This idea came about, I think it was Tim Ferriss, who's a kind of serial entrepreneur and author, had come in for Berkshire Hathaway, The Gathering, one year and had a podcast, I think, where he was talking about everything he learned from Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett and uh, was just like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be so great, you know, for me, Tim, to get on stage with Warren Buffett and ask him questions. And so I think that's where this idea came from to be like, all right, let's do something crazy. Let's do something bigger. No pun intended. Right. But, um, you know, we, we found great value in gathering people in a physical space. And then it was like, how do we level this up? How do we make it something broader, right? To spark those big ideas on a grander scale. And so, yeah, it was the end of, I think at the end of 2008, early 2009, I had been going down to South by Southwest for a handful of years. You know, gosh, this is when a lot of the tech companies were getting started, you know, dig and Foursquare, Twitter, the early kind of late 90s, early 2000 tech companies were starting to come onto the scene. Gary Vaynerchuk was getting, you know, his feet under him in terms of what he was doing. And so, you know, we said, hey, let's do this event in Omaha, not to be a South by Southwest in Omaha, Nebraska, but how do we bring in entrepreneurs and creatives that we were inspired by into this city and see what happens, right? So the first event was May of 2019. We reached out to Drew Davies at Oxide Design kind of came up with this idea say, Hey, big Omaha. Right. Cause like we couldn't come up with a more creative name, but also drew and his team did an amazing job with the branding of like having folks, you know, skydiving off the head of a cow. Right. Or, you know, just crazy radical stuff, but it did, it embodied the energy that was in this city and this community at that time. Right. And it was kind of an homage, if you will, to kind of, when you say Omaha, you think maybe cows or eggs. So it's like, let's put the two together. It was special. And I think it was special for a lot of reasons. It was special for the people that we were able to bring in to the community. I think the first event we held for several years, we held it at Coneco, 
down in the old market because we also said, hey, we didn't want to do it at a hotel ballroom, right? Because you can go to any city and see the exact same paint and carpet and chairs, right? In a hotel. But where else in the world and the nation can you see a gallery like Caneco, right? And you can't. And so, you know, the director at that time said, sure, absolutely, which kind of floored us that we had carte blanche access to this beautiful, amazing space. And we're really just, man, a, a pivotal key partner in Big Omaha's success. So again, that's the physical space, right? You've got an amazing, beautiful physical space that people are coming into that they don't expect when you say Omaha, Nebraska, or even those from Omaha maybe hadn't visited, hadn't been there. And now you need the human side of it. And so on the human side of it, for us, we wanted to bring in entrepreneurs from outside the area too, right? Not because we didn't have enough great stories here, but we wanted that kick in the pants by entrepreneurs, creatives, artists, from some of maybe the larger cities and larger creative hubs, entrepreneurial hubs to come in. And so, you know, those first couple of years, it was really kind of a very grassroots, gritty, exciting event. And that just continued to build on each other kind of year after year for a number of years. And I can dive in more, you know, that journey if you'd like, but yeah. Well, I'm curious as you look back and maybe you can share a little bit more about, you know, who were the speakers, the guests, and, and what was the structure of the interaction? Because it, it wasn't them and us. It was very porous, the interaction between, you know, the supposed stars of the event and people that were attending. But who were these people um, that came to that first event in May 2009? And, and then what was the impact of Big Omaha? Yeah. So the first, first couple of years, I know Miha Baldwin, who was an audience kind of favorite, who was a serial entrepreneur involved in the tech community for a number of years, who was one of those humans who just came in to the event and interacted, engaged with everyone like they were the most important person in the room, right? And that built on itself. Um, Jeffrey Kalmakoff was one of the early speakers as well from Threadless, a t-shirt company out of Chicago. So just a little, little least to hear. And there were also folks like Gary Vaynerchuk, who at that time, again, was kind of really starting to build, you know, wine library. He had the physical building and was nowhere near as big as, as he is today and, and on the same stages. Jason Freed from 37 Signals, right, were, were a handful of the first couple speakers. They came in, they had an amazing time and uh, they went back to their cities and hubs and were saying, oh my gosh, like you need to come to Big Omaha, right? They were telling their peers and their friends. And so we kept in touch with them. I'd go down South by Southwest, kind of talk to more folks, kind of the buzz started to build, right? Those first year or two, but gosh, over the years, I think that the people that came in both on the speaker side and the attendee side, I don't know. It just, it, it felt like there was this sense of like, everyone had a reason to be there and not from an elitist standpoint, but more of like, tell me your story. You're here because there's something different about you in a good way. And so I want to know who you are, Stuart, right? I want to know who you are, Dusty. I want to know who you are. And the speakers really, I, I say, even as I sit here today, just, just did a tremendous job in shaping that into what it was throughout those years. You know, some of the fondest stories and memories I have were speakers that came in to the event and then they weren't seeking out the green room after they were done but they were seeking out an open seat so that they could sit alongside entrepreneurs to learn what they were doing and what they were creating. Right. And so like, you know, Mark Echo, I, I grew up seeing the Echo Unlimited, you know, Rhino on t-shirts. And then he's in Omaha. He said yes to come. And he said yes to come because of the community that's here and kind of what we were doing. And 
you know, I was persistent on like, Mark, come on, check it out. Right. Like to come in to see it. But I had no idea. Is he going to get on his private plane and fly back to New York or Paris or next speaking gig? And, but he came in two, three, four years after year after year and countless folks like that were like, you know, Scott Harrison from Charity Water, right. Kind of gave the story of building Charity Water and you could hear a pin drop in the room, right. Of seven, 800 people in there. And the coolest thing was not only the community that rallied around to support and give to Charity Water, but also these successful entrepreneurs from outside of Omaha that were now signing on board to help support and build Charity Water as well. So there's connections made at that kind of speaker level as well. Yeah. So I, I think over the years, it, it was really um, this beautiful kind of mix of there was not a hierarchy in a sense. It was like we were all here because there's something special going on, you know, and wanted to be a part of it. You know, the food selection, right? We try to get local food vendors rather than just cart in a lot of Subway sandwiches, right? You know, music, the DJs, you know, the entertainment that we brought in. It was all like, how do you curate this just amazing experience for people to, to really feel like they're not alone, right? And to feel like anything is possible. I think that's special and it's hard to recreate. I think that last point about how it's hard to recreate, it's hard to create generally. And so I want to ask you about the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the city now. And you've been spending at least a couple of decades focused on creating that. And I, I want to ask your opinion or your observations about that ecosystem in Omar now. And I want to do that. Um, I'm going to reach across the digital divide between us and hand you a document. So here's this document that was created a decade ago, and it was mm. given to me by mm. Andy Stoll. And mm. A decade on, I still have this on my computer. And what you won't be able to read because it's printed really small is that one of the people that he gives credit to for the inspiration behind this um, construct that he's created, that he's calling community alchemy, is you. And this is over a decade ago, and he's crediting you, amongst others, with helping him conceive this. And so you've been doing this for a long time. And so one might ask, what are we doing well? How are you seeing the ecosystem in Omar? And what are we doing badly? Because if we've been working in it for so long, where are the breaks, the barriers? What what aren't we quite getting past? That's a great question. I'll I'll start with the negative. I usually start with the positive, but I'll I'll, I'll go different today and and, and start with the negative. In, In some ways, I think we've gone back to our old ways and we've gone back to our old ways in the sense of kind of, you know, staying heads down, not celebrating or highlighting the work that we're doing and we have been doing right Throw a global pandemic in there. And that sure changes up the trajectory for so many things, right. You know, factor that in. Right. But even outside that, I think kind of pre pandemic, I felt like, you know, for a number of years, it was kind of, we were, we were going back to just kind of going back to heads down and, the way things were done, you know, Omaha and Lincoln. And there wasn't a lot of like ego necessarily or competitiveness. It was more just like, oh, it's just easier to stay where I'm at, easier to kind of build my company, right? So I think kind of that lack of, of storytelling and lack of celebration, you know, I will say now Silicon Prairie News is, is back on the scene through uh, Flatwater Free Press and uh, Steph Monge, who is amazing because Steph at that time was working for the World Herald and wrote the very first piece on Silicon Prairie News and the World Herald. 
and is now the editor of Silicon Prairie News, right? So I, I'm very excited by that. I, I also think before I flip to the positives, I, I also think, you know, doing a better job or, or being more strategic about tying in other parts of our community that are often overlooked around entrepreneurship and innovation, right? And creativity. Again, there's amazing things happening just, you know, blocks north and south of Dodge and east of here and west of here, right? But again, I just, I feel that we're, we're siloed, right? We're disparate kind of communities. Um, we still haven't necessarily figured it out in terms of kind of great, how do we find the highest potential students and young people that have a passion and an inkling and an aptitude towards entrepreneurship and get them the right mentors, access, funding, whatever it may be, right? And be strategic about it and track those metrics. And if there's success, why is there success? If there's failure, why was there failure? And not only why was there failure, but how do you get these students and young people back up again to do it again and again and again, right? Embracing this idea of uh, failure and failure is a good thing if you learn from it and compress things forward. So all that to say, uh, there's a, a venture capitalist, Brad Feld, out of Boulder that I and Andy and others have kind of looked to around startup communities and community building. And he says community building is a 20-year journey that resets itself every year, right? And so, you know, here we are in 2023 and we can set this 20-year journey to say, where do we want to be as a city and a community in 2043? But then come January 2024, you have to essentially look at that plan all over again and say, hey, are we on the right path? Or are we on the right track? So it's kind of balancing the twofold. Um, positive in the community, I think, again, there are some young leaders in this community that are really starting to step up and I'm getting excited by, right, in this entrepreneurial journey within companies and also on their own, right? And so, you know, we've got two fast-growing tech companies right now, Pet Friendly and Workshop. And handful of folks from both those companies, as well as there's a young man on our, our team, all organized a startup uh, job fair just a couple of weeks ago. And I think they had like 30 or 40 companies, startup companies from the community and had 300, 400 people come out for this event, all led by this next generation, if you will, of community builders and community leaders. And so, you know, I personally am a excited by that, but also trying to make sure that I'm trying to do a good job of carving out time to sit down with these leaders and say, hey, how can I eliminate any of the hurdles or roadblocks or things that maybe I went through, right? Being a little older in age now, having different access to individuals that I did at that point in their life. So yeah, I think you look at other pieces of the community as well, the Luminarium, what it adds, and I don't wanna leave organizations out. There's so many organizations doing, you know, Culture House on North 24th, right? Uh, the Union, for contemporary art, right? Coneco, the work they're still doing. Again, dozens of great organizations. I think you put all those together, you put together, you know, the Jean Leahy Mall, the, the transformation that our city's undergoing come from a physical location. And frankly, it's, it's an exciting time for what chapter two, if you will, or the next version of this entrepreneurial ecosystem could look like. I really appreciate how you always make an intentional effort to connect the creative and cultural and artistic realms with the entrepreneurial and the more, as it were, business and practical realms too, as part of a thriving community or ecosystem, however we describe that. One thing that we haven't specifically talked about though, is that my understanding is you have a fairly strong faith background too, that informs you know, your life and, and how you think about the world. Can you share just a little more about your faith background? Yeah. Yeah. I was raised Catholic, 
you know, that's, that was passed down. That was a faith that was passed down to me by my parents, my family, and then kind of grew up, I would say in the evangelical church for a number of years. My faith journey, I will say is just that is a journey and is continues to be a journey today. And I wrestle with the way that faith has been portrayed and the way that faith has been, I shouldn't say faith, I should say religion, that religion has been propagated, pushed, you know, the negative connotation, the way that it's tied in to just our political system over the last handful of years. And in no way have I walked away from my faith, my personal faith, but religion as a whole, right, has really just kind of personally thrown me for a loop of of how it's displayed itself visibly, right? For me, I, I kind of have this mantra, just be a good human, right? And if you're a good human and you're pushing things forward and, and you want to see change in, in your community and in your neighborhood and with those that you interact with on a day-to-day basis in life, I want to know more about you. I want to know more about your story. I want to know how I can help you. I want to know how we can work together to change this city, to serve this city. I, I don't know. I just, I, I try to try to be pretty um, diligent, proactive, open-minded, maybe all of the above in terms of how I walk and to make sure that the way I walk hopefully doesn't um, discourage or bump or push somebody off their own faith journey, if that makes sense. It's, it's definitely been, I'd say, a process and I, I continue to hold faith very important to me as, as a human and as an individual. But I think more of my personal journey and personal faith, you know, rather than putting a religion tag on it, if you will. I've known you for a while and I've seen you too be very active in the community, but I don't know I've ever really heard you talk about faith as such, which is interesting because I, I know that it informs who you are as a, as a person, you know, your identity. So I'm curious how you draw lessons from your faith that can support how you go about doing the work and thinking about entrepreneurial ecosystems, building community that is better. And, and I'm less concerned with the language. So for example, being human, as much as I am with how you feel informed by and can apply your faith. Yeah, I, you know, there's elements of kind of my faith and teaching and, and you know, what I learned growing up that, that probably parlays into entrepreneurship, right? This idea of not leaving anybody left behind, having a seat at the table for all, right? You know, I don't know if it's a lost sheep mentality, whatever, whatever analogy or whatever story you might want to use, right? Again, I want all to be at the table, right? In a sense, in the table of entrepreneurship or the table of community building, if you will, right? Not to, we're not creating a new religion here by any means, but it's, it's this idea of, yeah, all are welcome, right? And who am I, who, who is, someone else to play gatekeeper or play decide who can and cannot play in this role or this world of entrepreneurship at this point. Right. So I think it's, if I look at kind of lessons in the way I look at humans and the way I look at humanity and, and, and my faith journey, and then again, overlapping that with entrepreneurship, to me, it's exciting and it's exciting because any person that I interact with on a daily basis could be that next great entrepreneur, right? Or next great person that's going to add so much to this community in this city. And if I go, if I go in it with this mentality of like, ah, live in this part of town or from this background or practice this 
faith or religion, whatever it might be, you know, gosh, I think it's just so, so short-sighted and so um, disadvantageous to the work of the collective community here to make this city better. Uh, a former guest on the show, Micah Yost, uh, shared with me that it was attending Big Omaha that gave him the gift of understanding who he was and, and to give him that sense of identifying as an entrepreneur was right. That was who he was. And I'm using that as an example to ask you, are you actually aware of the extent of your impact on this city? No, no seems like a hard word to say for me. And Stuart, you know me, right? It, because uh, it makes it sound so, oh, I don't, egotistical, right? But in a sense, right, I, I, I never set out to have the light shined on me. It's not, not my style, not what I've done. What brings me joy is hearing stories like that, right? Sitting across from you and seeing the work that you've done for decades on adding your piece to this amazing city, right? And yeah, bringing new people into the fold, meeting new people. So no, I, you know, in some ways it's, it's overwhelming to hear that. And in other ways it's motivating to say, okay, what else can I do? We're still here, right? So let, let's get to work. Let's get busy, right? There's still so much that can be accomplished here, which is, which is fun. So yeah, but also trying to find that time to reflect on the work uh, reflect on the stories and the great things that have happened over the last, you know, 10, 15 plus years, but not just sit there either. Right. Not just say, Oh, the good old days. Right. But say, okay, how do we make the next five, 10, 15 years even better here? I, I think there is clearly a, a, for me, a welcome example of what I know about you, which is that you're extremely unselfish and notwithstanding the many opportunities given the endeavors that we've talked about, Silicon Prairie News, Big Omaha, your work with Route Ventures, the work you're doing now, Millwork Commons, it would be really easy to be the kind of leader or focal point that does have the light shone upon you. And you don't do that. You kind of eschew that. So for you, when you think about a leader, when you think about perhaps, and this is a slightly different question, an entrepreneur, what are the characteristics that, that really perhaps inspire you that you look for? Yeah, I, um, I think the entrepreneurs I know, you're focused, on a, you're focused on a vision, you're focused on a task, you're focused on you know, building that company, that product, that idea, but you also have the wherewithal or the kind of the internal reflection in a sense of realizing what you're not good at or where you're lacking or where your strengths do not lie and don't exist. Right. And then build a great team around you to supplement those weaknesses, right. Or to offset those weaknesses. So, yeah, I think it's somebody that's just kind of so heads down. That's like, this is going to work regardless. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make it work. I'm going to run my head into that wall 15 times. But again, also knowing, hey, if 15 times is it and this isn't working, it's time to stop. It's not time to like, again, this gets into kind of the personal and the mental health and everything else, right? Remember, we're humans at the end of the day and it's not success at, at any cost kind of thing. But I think strong leaders for me have a, a very, a very deep passion in terms of what they are trying to do, build or solve. And then are also, you know, 
see where they're not so strong. And then how do you, how do you get an amazing team around you that, uh, that can kind of supplement where you're not, uh, not as great, I think. So again, that's macro level, right? But it's this idea of uh, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at and finding people to help support you along that journey along the way. This is going to come across possibly sounding a little rude, not meant to be. Um, why are you still here, Jeff? And I mean that not existentially, but uh, geographically. Why are you still based in Omaha? Yeah, no, great question. Um, there were a number of years I was like, yeah, why, why are we still here in Omaha, right? It's uh, four seasons is nice, but also not so nice, right? At, uh, at certain times of the year. So family for me, I, I think is the biggest thing. You know, our kiddos are here. Families are both here. My wife and I's family are both here. We've got deep roots, I think, in Omaha now, right? And so for me, it's this idea. Um, I feel like Omaha is kind of, you know, almost half a degree of separation, you know, maybe a full degree of separation or so if you're recently transplanted or moved here. But um, you can get things done here that I don't think you can get done as quick or as efficiently as or, effect, or as effectively as you can, you know, in other cities, right? And there's a lot of things that are challenging, whether it's political climate or whether it's lack of resources or mention, mention the gaps and the things, but those challenges are also opportunities to say, okay, how do we start to chip away at those again over the next five, 10, 15 years, the inequalities or the political climate or whatever it may be. You know, so I, I, for me, it's, it's family, you know, still try to make a conscientious effort to travel, right. To get to the coast and get overseas and wherever we need to be for that kind of infusion of creativity you know, I love going to New York and I don't know that I could spend 20 plus years living in New York personally, but man, after I'm there for a week, like you feel like you can tackle the world back here in Omaha, right? In terms of like, okay, what's next? Who do we need to line up? You know, what organization do we need to help support those kind of things? So long answer, short question, but I think the biggest thing probably for me is family. The kiddos are, you know, here kind of continue to raise them. Um, we've got a good kind of network and support network around us. So those are all things that, that weigh heavily on determination to stay here. You talked earlier about, I'm circling back now to this idea of you being fascinated by people and curious about those around you and, and how we can be good humans and, and form and forge community. And I'm wondering if you've thought harder about something intrinsic within you, why you feel a yearning to not only learn about other people, but also to create connection, create networks and communities around you and not to celebrate you, but, but to see that flourishing as it were of humanity. What is that calling for you? Yeah, it, um, hmm. you know, I think I, th maybe early on it was more selfish and, and altruistic. And what I mean by that is the idea of saying, gosh, it feels good to know this many people, right? It feels good to know this individual or whatever. You have this many contacts in your phone, right? And that's, it's very, uh, very selfish, right? Very short sighted in a sense. Now I think as I've gotten older, I feel that same amount of excitement and joy, but in a sense of like, how do you open up those connections and that network, right? I say this to my kids a lot too. I could care less about your title, one's title, right? I could care less about your title, one's title, or, you know, if you're not, if you don't treat people with respect, you're not a good human. Again, I, accolades don't matter. They don't count, right? I don't, I don't care that you've sold or built, you know, a billion dollar company or an actor, or actress, or 
musician, whatever it may be, if you don't treat anybody you see and run into with decency and respect as a human, I don't want any part of it. Right. And so I think that, uh, that's given me the freedom in a sense of like, this isn't about, you know, collection. This is almost more about giving away, right. Giving away those, those relationships. I think the thing for me too, is everyone has a story, right. And so the people that I meet and interact with that I gravitate towards or I connect, or we have that level of bond and friendship and relationship. I want other people to experience that same, you know, energy and joy that I get from them and their story. Right. Um, so I think that that's where maybe that drive comes from now is it's allowing new relationships into my life, but also holding those loosely enough that others can experience and hopefully meet and be inspired by those individuals as well over time. I want to close with reading to you the first sentence of one of your about bios. It's, of course, these things trail us on the internet, but uh, one of your websites, and um, it's the About Us page, and, and this is how you describe yourself. Nice guy, Jeff Slobotsky, does more than smile and shake hands. And I love that when I read it. And I, I wondered if, actually, given everything we've described, that you could just drop the does more than and just leave it as nice guy, Jeff Slobotsky smiles and shakes hands. I think so. I think so. I, I, I like that. I, I'm trying to remember where that, that one came from. So it, uh, that could be an updated, uh, <laughs> updated bio going forward for the next five, 10 years. Uh, no, I know it. Um, a lot of times I feel like one has to do, do, do and go and, accomplish and build, but oftentimes there's freedom in just, you know, being present in a space and, and, uh, celebrating, uh, celebrating what's around you, right. And the community that's around you. And then when it's time, you know, take that inspiration to continue moving things forward and start the work again, if you will. My guest today has been Jeff Slobotsky, connector, entrepreneur, and community builder. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Stuart. I've really enjoyed it. Lives is brought to you on KIOS Omaha Public Radio and is produced by Courtney Beerman. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.